Well, hey, good morning, Zion. Again, how's everybody doing this morning? We can clap a little bit louder. How's everybody doing this morning? Amen. Uh, well, hey, I, I'm just going to call it for what it is. We like to call those little uh, feedback loops technological demons. So we're just going to cast those out from now on in Jesus' name. Uh, but would you guys agree that regardless of technology issues, Jesus is still worthy of our praise? Amen. And I think that's what's important for us to remember is that sometimes the enemy wants to distract every way he can. And I want to tell you this morning, I know for a fact that there are people in this congregation, in this park, who need to hear from the Lord today. Not necessarily just from me. You need to hear from God. God has a word for you. And my hope and my prayer is that as this message goes on, that the Lord might speak to you, that the Holy Spirit might bring freedom. Um, you know, it's been interesting is we're in this series called God Is. And we've been using the Lord's Prayer as a means for exploring the hearts of God, to understand His character, His desire for the world, and His heart for you, for me, and for the world. Now, so far, we've talked about, we began with the Our Father. Now, if you're familiar with this, let's all say the Our Father. Let's, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. And I want you to think through, if you've been here for each week, we're going to cover this. So would you join me in saying the Lord's Prayer one more time? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We've been walking through this, and it starts off with God's calling us to community. That's the our part of this, is that the we is bigger than me. You belong to a bigger family than you realize. And just as God is calling us to a community, our Heavenly Father, through faith in Jesus, is making us a family. And that God is worthy of our worship and his greatest desire is that we would make Jesus famous in the world around us. We know that Jesus is king and we are his people. We want to see his kingdom come and will be done because the kingdom of God looks like the person of Jesus. When you think about his kingdom, it's meant to be a reflection of his character. Last week, Pastor Derek, our executive pastor, gave us a first look at what the kingdom looks like in a reflection of God's character as a provider. God is provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, this is an incredibly difficult thing at times to accept in our culture because so much of our culture is founded on our ability to provide for ourselves. And that's what makes the Lord's Prayer so controversial, to be honest, is that when you really mean it, you're praying things that are subversive, that go against the very nature of what our culture values. See, we want to believe that we provide and that it requires a certain amount of humility to acknowledge our need for God in our lives, in our everyday world. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Just as Jesus taught us to pray with God's character and kingdom in mind, that God is a generous God, He's also desiring that we would be a reflection of his kingdom. Which means every time you pray, 
Our Father, give us this day our daily bread. You are also praying, Lord, help me to be as generous as you are. I want that to sink in for a moment. Every time you pray that, if you sincerely mean it, it's an invitation to the Holy Spirit to make you as generous as God is. There's a, an author and theologian named Shane Claiborne, lives in New York, and he actually says often, we are the answer to our own prayers. Instead of praying for our neighbor who's going through a hard time that God would miraculously provide, maybe God is calling you to provide because you have an abundance. That's kind of hard to think about. And here's the problem is that in our culture, we struggle with believing that God has provided. And here's how I know this. I've had conversations over the years that kind of go like this. Well, Jason, I went to school. I got the job. I work hard. I saved up the money. But let me ask the question, who gave you your mind? Who gave you the ability to think and reason? Who gave you your gifts and talents? God gave you those things as a resource for his kingdom purposes. That's what it means to be a citizen of God's kingdom. Now, before we get on to today's message, I want to stretch this even a little bit further. See, when we actually say, hallowed be your name, your kingdom done, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is more than just a prayer of petition or asking. It's also a prayer of mission and direction. God is asking us to look more and more like him every day. And from here on out, the rest of the Lord's prayer is, yes, it's asking God to do something for us, but more importantly, it's asking God to do something in us and through us. Does that make sense? Now, we look at this, if we are his people, his disciples, we should start asking, how does God want me to reflect his nature? Now, for years, how many of you have heard this prayer called the Lord's Prayer? By a show of hands, how many have heard it? Everybody. We have all know it as the Lord's Prayer. Can I just tell you, I actually don't think that's the best description. I think it's better described as the disciples' prayer. Because every time we say the words of the Lord's Prayer, we are saying them as one who believes in a heavenly Father. We are saying them as one who believes that we want to see God's kingdom come, that we want to see his will be done, that he is worthy of our worship. We want to be the people who are generous, and today we're going to talk about an even more difficult one, and that's the issue of forgiveness. Now, going back to the very nature of who Jesus is, remember, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. That's God's our provision. Well, God just didn't provide your daily bread. He also provided the means for forgiveness because that's part of his character, his heart, his desire is he is not just a generous God, but he is a loving God. Now, as we come to the Lord's Prayer, this particular part where we say, give us this, uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is usually where things go off the rails if you've ever been to a different church. You know, I, I'm sure most of you know what I'm talking about. You're sitting in a group. You don't all come from the same church. And once you get to this part, you have one group who says trespasses, the other group who says sins, the other group who says debts. And it's like, which is it? Well, the answer is yes. It's all of them. Here at Zion, we pray, give us this day our trespasses. Or sorry, don't give us our trespasses. That came out so sideways. Lord, help me sin. <laughs> That's not what I meant. Thank you for laughing with me and not at me. I appreciate that. 
But how many of you have ever been to a church that prays it this way, forgive us our debts? How many of you, show of hands, how many of you have heard the word debt? How many of you come from a church tradition who described it as sin? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. A few of you. Maybe there's other language, and each of these can get confusing, but the which, which is it? Well, the Bible kind of has what I call a junk drawer term. <coughs> Excuse me. Anytime we talk about offense or doing something wrong, the Bible uses one word that we're all familiar with, sin. If I were to ask you, why did Jesus die? He died for our sins. But here's the problem. Sometimes calling something a sin may actually become an obstacle to understanding what exactly we did wrong. Let me give you an example. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a story about my kids. I actually shared this story about three years ago, maybe four years ago. So enough time has passed. And plus, I don't mind telling the same story twice because if it's funny, it's just worth it. So my, my son and daughter, Indy and Eli, they were pretty young at this point, And my daughter comes running down the stairs crying. And right behind her is my son going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And so they come down. I get her to stop crying. And I'm like, what happened? And she goes, Eli kicked me in the throat. And, Indy, and I go, Eli. And he goes, no, I, I didn't mean to. I was aiming for her face. And first I had exactly your response. I'm like, okay. He missed the mark. Sinning is missing the mark. He sinned in multiple directions here. He was aiming for her face. He hit her throat. Either way, here's the thing. In trying to help him understand what went wrong, yes, he was aiming for the face. He kicked the throat. Here was the problem. None of them were okay. And at the end of it, I tried to help my son understand that he owed her an apology. People who owe people something owe a debt. And the Bible, one of the ways the Bible describes certain types of sin is as a debt. Sin is missing the mark. It actually was an archer's term or one for slings using slings. James 4.17 says this, if anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. They've missed the mark. Romans 6.23 says it this way, For the wages, the payment of sin, which is missing the mark, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I needed my son to realize that he owed his sister an apology. He owed her a debt. Now, there's this story in Luke chapter 7. Jesus is invited to this guy, Simon the Pharisee's house, to have a conversation. And Simon already has his opinions formed about Jesus. And what they would do, they came to recline at the table. Now, back then, in the ancient world, most tables were not seated high. They didn't have chairs. Most tables were very low, and you would recline at the table. And Jesus, when he comes in, it was customary that you would wash the feet of your guests, that you'd have a servant wash their feet with water and dry it with a towel, and then you'd pour perfume on their heads because the reality was back then most people didn't bathe and there was no such thing as deodorant. So in order to bless them and to bless everybody else in the room, they would offer an oil-based perfume. Well, Simon doesn't do any of that. 
Jesus is sitting at the table, reclining at the table, when a woman who is known, and most likely a prostitute or an adulteress, comes into the house. She sees Jesus. She breaks down weeping, falls at his feet, and it says this. She begins to cry on his feet. She literally is washing all of the muck, the dirt, the animal feces, all of the stuff that would have been collected. She's washing his feet with her tears. And then she takes her hair, which would have been her crown of glory, the dignity of a woman back in the ancient world was her hair. And she uses her hair to dry the feet of Jesus, kissing them. She's brokenhearted. <coughs> she knows her sin. Excuse me one second. <coughs> <clears throat> promise that's not emotions oh man my throat just got super dry <clears throat> that's interesting right there all right she begins to wipe his feet with her hair kissing them and then she pours this expensive perfume bottle called alabaster and as she's wiping them simon thinks to himself for one moment this man cannot truly be a righteous man or a prophet because if he did, he'd know exactly who is touching his feet. And Jesus, knowing the thoughts of Simon, says, Simon, it's interesting. I came into your house. You didn't wash my feet. Simon, I came into your house. You didn't pour perfume on my head. But this woman, she washed my feet with her tears. She dried them with her hair. She sacrificed that jar of alabaster perfume would have been three years of wage. And then he shares a story. He says, Simon, let me ask you a question. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave both the debts. Now, which of them will love the man who forgave them more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? She did everything right. Why? Because she understood what was being offered. She understood that her sins were forgiven. Then Jesus turns to the woman and says, your debts have been forgiven. And the man says to himself, who is this who even forgives sins? He then says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See, you may not see sin as a big deal, but the sin of debt is a real one. It's realizing that you have stolen or taking something from someone, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually, or relationally. A painful word spoken in anger, a joke at someone else's expense, gossip or slander. There are sins where a person owes a debt to God or another. But the third word that is often used in the Lord's Prayer is not just debt, it's not just sin, it's trespass. To trespass is to cross the line, to step into forbidden territory, property, and I'll add one that we don't often think about, stepping on a person's personhood. 
their identity. Let me give you some biblical examples of this. Adam and Eve in the garden, God said, Adam, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam trespassed. He went someplace he was not supposed to go. How many of you have ever felt like someone trespassed on your soul? How many of you have ever been in a fight before? <laughs> and you, in the middle of the fight, you went, I probably shouldn't have gone there. You know what I'm talking about? See, when we sin through trespass, it's going someplace that we don't have permission or that we know we should not go because it causes harm. The Lord's Prayer, once again, brings us to even ground. It levels the playing field. Now, there are three major assumptions with the Lord's Prayer. The first is, all of us, you, me, every single human being in the world, all of us are guilty of sin. Second, all of us have been hurt by sin. If I went around to every single person here in this park today, every single one of you has a story where somebody hurt you. And all of us need forgiveness from sin. I want to take a moment and think about what a gift this realization actually is when we realize that Jesus knows that we are not perfect. In fact, perfectionism can get in the way of our forgiveness. For some of you, the hardest person to forgive is yourself. Some of you here today are struggling believing that God can forgive you or that your sins are worthy of forgiveness. Maybe it was a mistake you made in a relationship, something you did years ago. Maybe you caused harm to somebody and you're carrying that burden and just do not feel it's okay to release yourself. Author, pastor, and theologian R.T. Kendall said it this way. The closer we are to God, the more aware we are of our sin and the more inherit, inherent the kingdom and enjoy fellowship with the Father the greater we feel the need, the need to pray the Lord's Prayer. When we say, forgive us our sins, our trespasses, our debts, it can sometimes easily be lost. But here's the thing. God provided the way for forgiveness through Jesus. And if you need forgiveness this morning, I want you to hear this. God gave you the ultimate provision of healing through the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he did it for your sins. Now, if Jesus forgives you, and if you're struggling to forgive yourself, and I want you to hear this, please hear this. If Jesus forgives you when you confess and repent, and you choose not to forgive yourself, that's actually a form of idolatry. You are literally claiming to have more authority and power than Jesus when you refuse to accept his forgiveness. That's a powerful word because so many of us, we want to carry that debt, that burden as if it's somehow a punishment that God wants us to wield the rest of our life. But that's not God's heart. God came to set the prisoners free. Now, here's the thing. Some of you also have had a hard time forgiving somebody else. Maybe there's something going on in the family. There's hurt, there's anger, and you've carried around bitterness there. And I want you to hear this, is that sometimes it's hard to forgive somebody if they don't acknowledge their wrongdoing. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't forgive. In Matthew chapter 18, Peter is talking with Jesus. And he thinks he sounds super spiritual. And he's like, Jesus, 
How many times should I actually sin or, or forgive somebody who has sinned against me? How many times? And then he's like, you know what? I know a good spiritual number. I'm going to sound super spiritual. Is it seven times, God? Should I forgive that person seven times? Is that the, is that the real biblical number? And Jesus says, no, not seven times, 70 times. Or one translation even has it as 70 times, seven times. In other words, Jesus says this. You are to forgive that person so many times that you've lost count of the offense. But that can be hard to do, can't it? It can be so incredibly difficult to forgive somebody. And now Jesus tells another story in Matthew 18. He says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts for his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees and begged the master, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back every cent. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him just a little bit of money, and he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But this time, the man refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master, the same master who had just forgiven the man all the debt. Then the master called the servant in and said, you wicked servant, I canceled all of your debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you have shown mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until every penny was paid back that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers and sisters. Now, at first glance, this sounds like Jesus is saying that if you do not forgive people, you're going to be thrown in hell. If our King Jesus is willing to forgive all of our sins, who are you, who am I to deny forgiveness to those who have sinned against us? Now, here's the thing. If you're a healthy reasonable human being, and you ask somebody to forgive you, you would want to be forgiven. That's what normal people do. They want to be forgiven. How much more should we extend that desire we have for ourselves on those who ask for forgiveness? But that's where it's difficult, is when somebody doesn't think they've sinned, it gets really hard to forgive, doesn't it? 1 John 8.10, 1, 8 through 10. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claimed we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Here's the thing. When someone refuses to admit their sin, the wrong they have caused, there are always consequences. The Bible says that the consequence of denying your sinfulness makes you a liar because everybody has done something wrong. All of us have sinned. All of us owe a debt. All of us have trespassed. 
All of us have done things that are unworthy of God's honor. But when somebody refuses to acknowledge the wrong to us, it does make it difficult to forgive, but not impossible. We've tried to teach our children that even if they didn't mean to cause harm, you can still owe an apology. How many of you have ever bumped into somebody? And what do you say when you run into somebody? Oh, I'm sorry. I know it's really difficult for some people to say. We say it because even though we didn't intend to cause harm, maybe we did. Maybe it was just temporary discomfort. What God desires from us is the ability to acknowledge when we've caused wounds. But what about when the hurt is bigger, the wound is deeper, the cut more personal? How do you forgive somebody who has caused incredible harm? Now, I'm going to say some things that I know some pastors disagree with, and I'm okay with that. You may not agree with it, but I hope you hear my heart. Sometimes it takes time to forgive. Sometimes it's outside of our strength, our power, our ability to forgive somebody for the wrong they've done. In fact, I think it can actually cause harm when you force somebody to forgive before they've worked through the trauma or the hurt. In some ways, it's a way of re-victimizing the victim by forcing them to forgive if the trauma is that deep. That doesn't mean they, they're not supposed to forgive. It just means sometimes they need the Holy Spirit's help. They need work to learn to forgive. And this is where the Lord's Prayer is helpful. Lord, help me to forgive as you have forgiven me. Holy Spirit, give me the strength the power, the ability to forgive where I can't. This is the pain of abuse, physical, sexual, emotional, relational, spiritual abuse. These things sometimes are difficult to get over. There is nothing wrong with acknowledging, God, I don't know how to forgive right now. I'm so hurt. I'm so angry. I don't know how to forgive that person. Holy Spirit, help me to forgive them, to forgive their trespass, their debt, their sin, just as you forgave mine. But I need your help. Now, here's what I want you to hear. Forgiving the person is not a denial of the trauma you have received, but it's one of the many steps in the healing of trauma. And sometimes it's not the first step. It might be the fifth or sixth step. Sometimes it's okay to work through the hurt so that you truly forgive and know that God is patient with you, that God wants to work in and through you. Jesus tells us forgiveness will and must be a step in the life of every believer, and it's okay to ask the Holy Spirit for help. We should ask him for help. And this is where you need his prayer the most to invade, to permeate, to pour into every aspect of your life, especially in those painful moments when your marriage is falling apart, when the abuser is still in your life, when the person who has done wrong to you refuses to repent. There's the ability to come to the Lord and say, God, I need you to help me. I need to work through this. So how do you ask God for help? If you're taking notes, write these down, okay? First is acknowledge 
the hurt done to you. Just be honest about it. Just say, God, this person did this and it hurt. Second, confess your own sin and need for forgiveness. Start off with what they did to you and then acknowledge the things in your own life that you've done. Third, repent. Repent of any pride or anger that might be keeping you back. Fourth, ask the Holy Spirit to help you, guide you, and give you the strength to forgive. And then lastly, is choose freedom for yourself and for that person. There's an old saying that says, the purpose of forgiveness is not for their benefit, it's for yours. How many of you would agree with that? Say amen. You forgive because the only person really held captive in unforgiveness is you. It's me. And if, you're, if you've ever struggled with unforgiveness, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That bitterness can invade every thought of your life. It's like an infection. And God wants to cure it. Today is the day that we celebrate our freedom. Today is also the day that Jesus wants to bring freedom for some of you. Some of you this morning are struggling with forgiveness. Forgiveness of yourself, forgiveness of others. He wants to give you the freedom to forgive or at least to begin the process of healing so you can forgive. John Hopkins University recently did a study that actually showed unforgiveness leads to all kinds of health issues. Check this out. Here's just a list of a few. Heart problems, depression, anxiety, stress, anger, hostility, heart disease, and unforgiveness can even lead to diabetes. It's an amazing thing is they've also discovered that people who naturally forgive quicker or easier are way less stressed out. I know that's a shocking thought, isn't it? That's why we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to do some hard work in us because on for ongoing unforgiveness leads to health issues, not just physical health issues, but spiritual health issues. But now I want to end with this, and I'm going to tell you what forgiveness is and is not, and I really need you to hear this last part. If you hear nothing else, hear this. Forgiveness is not about taking the high road. The world says you forgive because that's the high road. Let them stay on the low road. As a disciple of Jesus, forgiveness is not about choosing the high road. It's about becoming more and more like Jesus and giving the world a glimpse of his kingdom. Second, forgiveness does not mean you have to be friends with the person. Forgiveness does not always mean a restoration of relationship. Some people are unsafe and toxic people and are best to be avoided. Jesus says you have to love everybody, not like everybody, okay? And that's okay. You can forgive somebody and say, I don't want to be friends with them. That's not a lack of forgiveness. Third, forgiveness does not mean that you do not put up healthy boundaries. Setting up boundaries does not mean you haven't forgiven the person. Rather, it means you wisely do not want to put yourself in the position again of anger, hurt, or abuse. For too long, the church has used forgiveness as an excuse for abusers instead of helping the abused to heal. Does that make sense? And so if you've been wronged, if you've been hurt, you can forgive and still have healthy boundaries. Lastly, forgiveness does not mean that you trust them again. Here's the best illustration I can give. 
Trust is like a water balloon. It's not a bank account. You don't get to pour money, trust in, and then take some out and do untrustworthy things. Trust is like a water balloon. And every time somebody does something untrustworthy, it pokes a little hole at the bottom of the water balloon and the, the trust keeps on leaking out until it's healed. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you know that feeling where somebody has broken a trust and they think simply because they, they're nice to you that that gains the trust back? No, until you patch that hole, trust keeps on leaking. Trust does not equal forgiveness. Jesus forgave the Pharisees doesn't mean he trusted them. I can forgive you and still have healthy boundaries. I can forgive you and not be friends. I can forgive you and not trust you because what forgiveness does is it's my way of saying, I'm not going to hold this over you, but I'm still going to be cautious of you. That's called wisdom. So as we look at this, Matthew 6, 14, this is how Jesus actually ends the Lord's Prayer. I know I'm skipping ahead. He says this, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sin, your Father will not forgive your sins. I want to clarify something that's been misunderstood in the church for years. I misunderstood it. I taught it wrong. If you don't forgive somebody, this does not mean you lose your salvation. How do I know that? Because the cross plus anything else is not good news. If you put your faith and hope in Jesus, you are saved. So what does Jesus mean when he says, if you do not forgive, you will not receive forgiveness? Well, here's the idea. I'm married to my wife, Lisa. We get into a fight. Until I apologize and we forgive one another, there is a boundary between us. There is a fracture in our relationship. But guess what? We're still married. We're still husband and wife. We're just not operating on all cylinders. So Jesus is saying, listen, if you're a believer, if you're a disciple of me, if you choose not to forgive, you are going to put a fracture in our relationship, but you're still saved. But if you choose not to forgive, if you over and over harbor and say, I will not forgive that person, there are two questions we should ask. The first is either one, you don't understand the gospel, or three, you still need the gospel. That's two. I did three. Wow, I jumped right to there, didn't I? <laughs> we need Jesus to help us forgive. And that's really the end goal of all of this. Some sins can take a lifetime to forgive. That's why we need the 70 times 7 part of Jesus. And here's the big idea this morning. God is forgiving he is also our forgiveness. Here's what I want to ask. As we're coming and preparing for closing prayer, if you need forgiveness for sin in your life, if you're not a Christian, maybe you heard this and the Holy Spirit was speaking to you and saying, hey, you're not right with God. This morning, I want to offer you salvation through Christ. I want you to hear the good news Confess Jesus Christ as Lord, that he has died for your sins and you will be forgiven. But if you're struggling to forgive, if you're holding on to unforgiveness over yourself or someone else, I want to tell you that there is a possibility of healing and it starts 
with coming to God. But I want to end with this last part. Sometimes you just need counseling. Sometimes the last step in order to heal is you need to go to a therapist and just work it out so you can get to the point of forgiving. All in all, I want you to hear these words. You have a God who wants to forgive you, who in Jesus has provided the means to forgive you. And through faith in Christ, you can do that. And through faith in Christ and with help, even those of you who struggle to forgive can forgive others. Amen? Would you stand with us? I'm going to have Pastor Derek come and do the closing prayer.